Hey everybody, I'm Marty Dodson. And I'm Clay Mills. Welcome to Songtown on Songwriting. Welcome. Today we are blessed with special guest Chris Lindsay, hit songwriter, producer, podcast host. We're just going to jump right in it, but stick around. Marty's got new music to play for you at the end. All right. Welcome to Songtown. Songtown on Songwriting. Today we have a very special guest. We have with us Chris Lindsay, a number one Grammy-nominated songwriter and producer, notable uh, songs that you may recognize, Poison and Wine, The Civil Wars, Amazed, um, huge hit for Lone Star. Every time I hear that song, Blake Shelton, he's got cuts with Martina, Adam Lambert, Carrie Underwood, Kenny Chesney, Keith Urban. Oh, man. I mean, this is, I'm just touching the tip of the iceberg here. So welcome, Chris. We are fortunate to have you. Thanks, Clay. I'm, I'm really happy to be here, man. Thank you for having me. And not only is Chris, we're going we're gonna to talk about his songwriting a little bit first, but then we're going to get to later in this episode, I want to talk to him about his Pitch List podcast, because for four years, it's been one of my favorite podcasts, and you got to check it out. Awesome, man. Thank you. I'm just going to dive in here and probably ask you some things maybe you don't get asked a lot. <laughs> sure, that, that's great. I love it. I love um, it. When, when was the first moment that, was there a, something that happened that made you realize, I want to do music for the rest of my life? Boy, that is something I've never been asked. Um, you know, I got my first, my, I have a, an uncle who gave me a guitar when I was 16. So still in high school, I started learning Eagle songs, Jimmy Buffett songs. Uh, uh, I went to, I played in band in high school. Uh, I got a uh, scholarship to go to SMU in Dallas. I'm from the Dallas area and uh, uh, went there. And in my junior year at nights, I played bass for a little trio at dinner clubs. Mm -hmm. for some extra money. And in my junior year, I was in a little rock band that got a little tour offer, took it, dropped out of college. And I think, I think in college, I decided that that's what I wanted to do. I was, I had been in love with it since I was really a kid, but in college, I decided that this is what, this is really what I want to do. And going from there, what was the moment in your life you realized, Hey, maybe I can make this a career for real? Well, as when I left college, I joined a band that was doing frat parties mm -hmm. in the South, uh, Southwest, Southeast. And that band did, you know, those, those, those gigs paid really good. They yeah. were, they were combat level engagements, <laughs> especially some of those fraternities that hired us. We had like, and this was crap, man, this was 82. Okay we had like a $5,000 deposit for yeah. some of those fraternities because they were going to tear up so much gear, <laughs> you know, you probably played, um, at my college around those years was Alabama. Oh yeah. Yeah. We played, uh, Arkansas. We played Old Miss. We played Alabama. We played Auburn one time. And, uh, there were certain fraternities. One of them in particular, I think they were, well, I'm not going to say, but, they would start, they had this giant concrete room we played in. They would start the party by taking a hammer and breaking the top off of a keg. <laughs> okay. Our salmon stood up on a plat, uh, a uh, wood plywood platform and mixed with vice grips 
you know, with plastic in order not to get electrocuted. It was crazy. But I think somewhere in there, I thought, well, you know, we're, we're making a decent living at this. We were doing a cover band. And, you know, of course, at that time, everyone's, well, we want to do all originals. That's the move you want to make, mm-hmm. which, we, which we eventually did and struggled at that for, for several years. And I eventually quit. Um, and uh, I was uh, living with a girl at the time in Dallas who got a contract with NBC out in L.A to place her in a sitcom. She was an actress. So we moved out to LA. I quit music and I started, I wanted to be a screenwriter. Wow. So I went after that for three years, optioned a couple scripts in the process. I met a guy named Lou diamond Phillips, mm-hmm. an ex Texan and a guy named John Lee Hancock. Who's a director. He just, he's got a movie out now called the little things. It just came oh, yeah. out on HBO. Yeah. He's, been, he's done a bunch of big movies, John. He had written a play. We were all just starting out, brand new, nobody. Lou was doing big movies, but John cast us all in a little play in Hollywood. I was cast as a musician in, in a band inside this play. The play crashed and burned, and uh, that little band started playing gigs, so all of a sudden I was back in music again. <laughs> and uh, Lou would... would, would uh, would uh, come out and play with us and sing. And so we toured all over the country and Canada doing that. And then I eventually been writing songs and I met a guy from Nashville and I kind of ended up coming to Nashville. That's my whole story. Yeah. No, it's a beautiful story. You know, at some point I think with Lou, I thought, yeah, I can, I can make this happen. Um, And at some point I was ready to jump from that because that wasn't ever going to be anything more than fun. You know, it's not like that band was going to make hit records. I guess I hate to say it like that. I suppose we could, but, you know, he had a huge career as a movie star. It wasn't like he's available to tour the world, you know. Right. Um, I had a meeting. I had uh, I was friends with Lou's ex-wife, a lady named Julie Cipher, uh, ended up marrying Melissa Etheridge. And she lived oh, yeah. up the street and I was friends with her, too. She had just started a break and uh she, this is the one moment I had been writing my little songs during all this. And I finally got the balls to send it to Melissa, send one to Melissa. And she called me up and said, Hey, I want to cook breakfast for you. Come over here. I want to talk to you. And she said this song, you know, so I went over, she was kind of famous for doing this, by the way, that she mm-hmm. cooked breakfast for you. And then she's going to help you get to the next level. She had done it for some other performers. Wow. Um, and she like sits me down. We have some pancakes and she's like, listen, man, you know, this song's really great. Um, you know, I love Lou, but this thing, you know, this thing can really be, you know, this, you got some serious limits on this project and you need to, you need to get more serious about this. So that was probably the moment where I thought, well, man, maybe I, I think I could, because I had somebody that was actually doing hits, you know, making right. hit records and on the radio telling me, you need to get more serious. You can do this. That was the moment. I think we all need that person that's not a family member to believe in us. You know? Yes, absolutely. Somebody that has some credibility. Yep. And, you know, Chris Stapleton said to me one time, he goes, belief is a powerful thing. <laughs> absolutely. And I, I think sometimes it takes somebody recognizing a seed inside of us, you know, that we have some greatness inside of us. So... I can see that. Um, so that's the point where you you thought maybe 
this is possible. You could see it happening. Mm-hmm. When was the first time you heard a song on the radio? What was that song? Um, I think the first thing, um, I was working with a guy named Johnny Slate. He published me. It was kind of a long winding road, but I ended up writing for him and got very frustrated because I was trying to write these super country songs, which really wasn't my bag. But eventually he got a band called Sons of the Desert and he cut right. one of my songs called Albuquerque. And that's oh, the yeah. first thing. And it came out right before Amazed with Lone Star. Um, and it it didn't do well, but I think it was that first song I actually heard on the radio. Within a month, Lone Star's Amazed came out. So that was technically oh. would be my first single. Wow. Um, I guess actually Albuquerque was technically my first. But that's the first thing I heard. Yeah. We- and it, it was absolutely, uh, as you know, I mean an unbelievable experience. I think that, 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 that I, I, I hope all writers, you know, if, if any writer, I hope as many can get that experience because money, notoriety, hanging out at cool parties, any of it does not get anywhere close to hearing that song on the radio. Oh my gosh. And that song to, to have that huge Lone Star hit, if I'm not mistaken, that was number one pop and country, right? It was. It had a uh, like a six, actually a nine week run as um, country, and then AC, and it became a pop, a number one pop hit. Also after that. Wow, and that's not yeah. something that happens very often. So no, it's not. It's not very common. Um, I, you know, and you know that was my first experience, so I didn't have as much of a sense as how rare that was, and I tried to soak it in. I. I Sometimes I look back and, and think, boy, I wish I were fully present for how 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 special that was. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. When when Beautiful Mess went number one, my response was, that's good. Now I got to get back to work. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's that's right. And that's the feeling. It's like, and you know, Johnny Slate was a mentor to me. And one of the big things he said is you got to write your songs and walk away. Yep. You let your pluggers have them and you walk away. You don't think about them. You don't run around worried about, is it still on hold or who, you know, I mean, you want to know that and you keep up, but he was really great about teaching us walk away. You got to, you got to write another song, man. That's not your part of it. Well, we both have Johnny Slate in common to a degree because um, my longtime writing partner, Sonny Lemaire wrote for right. Johnny as well. And I can tell you, for me, playing Johnny my song, since Johnny was such a tremendous writer himself, that I think a lot of writers that sign staff writing deals, their publishers don't really write. And I think probably you probably feel like you had an advantage, like I did, that I could bring a song to Johnny, and he would go, you know what, that's a great song, but I think you need to write a bridge and then the next thing I know, that song became a hit. And I'm going, I don't think it would have been with, without that change. Right. <laughs> and he was he was extremely positive, too. Johnny had a philosophy. And I, I, always, I heard him talking about it. He just said, writers are very sensitive people. You, you got to be careful with them, man. You know, you, encouragement is everything to a writer. You're yeah. just working in the dark, man. You're working in the dark, especially in the beginning. You just don't know. You believe that you can, but you really don't know. And you have all these doubts. <clears throat> and when someone in a position of authority, like you said, encourages you and says, you're going to do it, man. You're going to do it. 
maybe not this one, but you're just keep going. You know, it's, it's invaluable, yes. invaluable. I could think, I think there's a lot of careers that didn't would have not happened without a great plugger in there pulling for them. You know? Absolutely. And a lot of talented people that, I mean, some of the most talented people I've ever met never really made it in the music business. And, and, you know, who knows if maybe they never had that person yeah. that believed in them like that. Absolutely. I bet we could sit down, the two of us kind of come into town around the same era. I bet we could sit down and make a list of 15 names of people that were wildly talented Right, like more talented than all the rest of us. Yeah, who for whatever reason couldn't put it together, were too emotional, too sensitive, couldn't handle the rejection, or just caught bad breaks. You know. Yeah, and you know the other side of it, and this is one thing I like to stress to our Songtown members is I've seen people come to town, and I may be one of them myself, that you thought, wow, I don't know if this person could ever become a great writer and a few years later they're writing great songs yeah it, it can be something that i mean you've got to have a basic level of talent but if you work hard i think you can learn to put it all together absolutely and that's through the co-writing process i think yes you learn so much and you can get in a room and just have the chemistry be magic and then things start happening that i've always said it and maybe sounds strange but it's i swear it's true when, when I've been in rooms where it, the, where lightning really struck things, the song was way better than I was capable of doing way better. And I look back just, just like, wow, how did that even happen? I I'm not that good, you know? Well, you've, you've done a lot of things good because you have the track record to prove it, but I know what you mean. Sometimes the sum is greater than the, than the individual parts. And, you know, sometimes I like having writers around. There are some writers that for whatever reason, when they show up to write in a room, the room gets better. Yep. I, I look at them like point guards on a basketball team. They may not be taking all the shots, but they're setting everyone up to succeed around them. Yep. And so in a co-writing situation, you know, those point guards can be really valuable. Yep. I've always thought of it. And Amy and I always used phrases like there's the, the co-writer. That's what you're talking about, I think. And then there's the lead dog. Mm -hmm. So you, you kind of need both, you know, and I, I think I've played the position of, well, no, I know I'm, I've been the co-writer way more. I've been lead dog on stuff that's worked, mm -hmm. but Typically, I'm more, you know, I might have titles. I've had titles at work too, but but uh, I might be driving the train musically or building the track. But then, you know, Poison and Wine, a song that I'm really proud of. It, it, I walked in with a title. I just had a huge fight with my wife. There are lines in that song that Amy screamed at me in our driveway. I mean, verbatim. Yeah. And I didn't touch a guitar in that session, which is really unusual for me. I did not even pick it up. So it, it can happen all ways, that's for sure. Really often the better songs happen when you do have, have those lines from real life that you put into the song. Yeah. yeah. You just asked me this question in your podcast, so I'm going to ask you this one. What would you tell a songwriter that a common mistake that they could easily fix when writing a song? Not shooting for the moon. 
Hmm. Listening to the radio, listening to other peers who have all this street wisdom that's not good, you know, this collective group think of Nashville, uh, you know, somebody's heard something from somebody, ignore, I, I think a big mistake is not shooting for the moon, man, making, make it different, go yeah. crazy, write a song that you can just say, I dare you to cut this song. You can't do it. It won't work. It's out of your reach. It's too crazy. Right. Do that. Cause I, that's my own personal experience. I wrote for Johnny the third year of my contract. I, I had some little things, um, Albuquerque had been cut, but it wasn't out. The brand new ba baby act, you know, that's not, you can't count on that. I was really down. I'm thinking I'm going to have to go back to tell, this is not going to work. Yeah. It's not going to work. And I got in a room with a guy named Steve Dukes, who was a plugger. Mm -hmm. And I just got in a mood and I'm like, I'm just, I'm going for it. I'm going for what I love. And I wrote a song called a place in the sun. And that got me going. Uh, within two days, well, no, it's a whole other story. I won't go into the whole thing, but they didn't want me to demo the song. And I eventually snuck it in. A guy named Mark Hall talked us into it yeah. from fame, who was dating Amy, my wife at the time. He's like, y'all are crazy. That song's a hit. And we finally just, I didn't, I was desperate. And I just snuck it in on the session. Within two days, that song, there was a giant fight between Dina Carter and Tim McGraw, who were both the biggest acts in country over the song. Wow. And it was a result of me giving up, total giving up, just F it. Yeah. I can't do it. I, I don't know what, I don't get it. I just can't do it. I can't get a Joe DP thing going or whatever they're doing. I, this is what, this is my heart. I'm going to, at least I'm going to get one in that I think is great. And so that's why I say that it's like, that's my own personal experience. And I know a lot of these stories, you know what I mean? of just going for what you think is great. Yes, that's awesome. And that that's something that I can attest to in, in my own career is that moment when you give up and, um, you know, just follow your heart. And so, yeah, that's invaluable. Tell me about the pitch list. I know you guys are starting your fourth year of the podcast. It's one of my favorite listens. Um, how did that come about? Well, um, I was just starting to get into podcasts at that time. And I was just a huge fan of the format. Um, and I'm not really sure what the spark was. I just started thinking, man, I, I well, I was thinking I have this resource. I'm working every day with these people with great insight and great stories, you know, working writers, you know, hit writers. And man, I can probably talk some of them into doing a podcast with me. Really, when I started thinking about it, I started thinking. And by season two, Dane and I both were, were like, okay, look, here's the great thing. Everybody knows the word podcast now. And everybody knows they're supposed to be doing it. Nobody knows what the hell it is. So I can talk to these people who would never give me the time of day into being on the show because they think they should be on the show. They yeah. can't go, who the hell is this? It's like, what is it? It's a podcast. Oh, yeah, I've heard of those. We need to be doing that. <laughs> well, let's do it. So I got great guests, but from the beginning, I tried, I wanted to make a podcast that I would have listened to. Like you and I would, when we first moved to town, just struggling and having a beer on Thursday night, crying in our beer about how we, you know, we can't get a good writing appointment with Gary Burr and, and, uh, 
and nobody gives a shit, you know? And I was like, I want to make a podcast for those people who are on the outside of the glass looking in and try to give them real insight, just like you guys, just yeah. like you guys, you know, real insight. And the way I've found to do that is just have a conversation. You know, I like the just, I don't go in with a lot. I go in with a few questions in case I stumble and the interview kind of goes, which really doesn't happen. I've had it a couple of times. So I've got some backup mm -hmm. questions, but I just, I like the conversation of, you know, let's just talk about stuff. And it seems uh, a good listen. And I hope people get good information out of it. That's what I want to do is just sort of add. And I also want to document this period of country music and these writers. Writers don't get a lot of attention. Yeah. And as you know, man, and I'm sure you guys talk about it, songs drive this town. Songs drive this business. They are the engine. And, you know, if not to take away... Look, the performers go out there and grind it out 250 days a year, and their kids never see them. In my opinion, it's horrible, yes. and I'm happy to do what I'm doing. Um, I don't think I could do it. It's hard, but I, but songs are the engine, and uh, and so I was really happy to be able to document these writers at this time. Yeah, that that's awesome, and and I can attest from the episodes that I've heard. Um, not only are you documenting the time, but you really pull some great insight out of your guests. So it's a wonderful show to check out, everybody. Thank you. And one other thing I want to add, mm -hmm. I also try to get, and I didn't get to it with you, but we sort of touched on it. I always try to get one story of like, where, what, was the, what was the low point? When were you going to give up? Tell us that story when you're just like on the floor, calling your mother, I'm coming home, you know, give, give us that one. And then what, what was the big thing that changed, you know, because yeah. I think it's really heartening for people to hear that because maybe they're in that spot right now, you know, because you said it, this is really a business where you can apply yourself and make it happen. You don't have to just be this wildly talented person who just barks out hit songs in five minutes. You right. can't, it is a craft that you can learn and get in a room and make something happen. And, and you, but you can't do it if you quit. No. And you know, success can literally be just around the corner and you don't see it if you quit yeah. right before it happens. Yeah. The only guaranteed way to lose at this is quit. Yeah, exactly. Well, with that, I'm going to wish my guest um, good day. Chris, it's been wonderful. Um, can't believe it took us so long to be able to chat, but I'm glad we did. Me too, Clay. And thank you so much. And thanks for being on Pitch List too. I, I can't believe it either. It's crazy. We have such a similar story. And I can't believe we've never hung out, but we're going to change that. Yeah. Okay, All man. right, man. Thank you. Cheers. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Chris Lindsay from the Pitch List podcast. And uh, check that podcast out. they got a lot of great things going on there. Now we're going to play you some new music from Songtown member uh, Aaron Bates, written with Glenn Zeiser, and it's called Heartbreak Don't Care. You could be living like a queen with a view of Central Park Begging for a dollar on Hollywood Boulevard You could be sparkling like a diamond Or a rhinestone at the Ryman Heartbreak don't care who you are 
I love that song. I hope you enjoyed it as well. So we have a question from the Ask Marty and Clay mailbag. We have a forum on Songtown where people can ask us questions and we answer. And today our, our questions kind of center around PROs. And the question is, when do I need to sign up with a PRO? It's kind of a common um, misperception that you have to be with a PRO in the beginning of your career. Uh, the, the answer to the question is sort of like, when do I need an accountant? Well, you need an accountant when you're making money and you need to keep up with it. And you need a PRO when you've got songs that are producing income. And that could be songs that are cut by artists and those artists are playing in their shows or that they've released on streaming or CDs or you know any kind of platform. Or it could be if you're a performing songwriter that you perform those songs out because most of the PROs now pay you for live performance. So if any of those things apply, then yes, you do need to be a, a part of a PRO so that you can get paid on those songs. The other reason you might want to be a part of a PRO, if, if you even if you don't have any of those scenarios and don't have money coming in, is if you find someone at a PRO that's really an advocate for you. So let's say... You meet with BMI, CSAC, and ASCAP in the U.S., and at ASCAP you find the writer rep really loves your music. They love what you do. They want to set you up with some other writers or, or some publishers. Well, that's a great reason to sign with that PRO if you've got an advocate like that that's going to help you. But um, those are the two scenarios where you would want to sign up with a PRO. If you've got money coming in or if you have an advocate at at one of those places and if you don't if you don't have money coming in and you don't find anyone yet that really believes in you i would not go ahead and sign up because you might sign up with bmi and no one er there ever kind of gets what you're doing and wants to help you so it's best to kind of remain independent unless you have that money coming in or you have an advocate advocate so i hope that's helpful and uh, thank you for joining us today be sure and check out the Pitch List podcast if you enjoyed this one. Follow us or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And we've got a bunch of other information in the show notes about um, Songtown, about some books that Clay and I have written and that kind of stuff. Thanks for joining us. Stay safe and be well.